Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquirers Funds. For regulatory reasons, we will not discuss any of the Acquirers Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquirers Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit AcquiresFunds.com. We're live, fellas. It's uh, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. East Coast, 5.30 p.m. UTC. No idea what time it is on the International Space Station. No idea what time it is in Sydney. The way you find that out is you put 5.30 p.m. UTC into Google and it'll tell you what time it is where you are. <laughs> no, no, send, send your request to me. I'll look everybody's up individually and let you know what time it is for you. <laughs> What's good? It's, good use of your it's always the time when Dave Portnoy is crushing. He's crushing Buffett all the time. crying watching Portnoy crush. There you go. Perth, it's 1.30 a.m. Thank you. First in, let us know where you're coming in from. We love to hear it. Also, you either Toby have a problem no or you like us too much if you're waking up at 1.30 a.m., but much appreciated. Maybe rolling through from the night before. Ooh, yes, yeah. and I'm saying. Dude, I couldn't That's sleep after last. hours. Brutal. So what's happening, fellas? The, the... Stool Presidente bottom-ticked all these airlines. Good for that guy, man. That's the new kind of analysis. I like that. <laughs> So did every uh, day trader out there. Real talk, that guy is a great entertainer. Yeah, that's there, the, there's something to learn from him. He is funny. That's the second best daytime podcast around. Yeah, well, ours ours is weekly. His is uh, his is every day, right? Hourly, but he is he is, far, he is taking over Jimmy Chilla as my guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's good. Hey, we got, we got lots of places. We got Calgary. Scotland. Hopefully, uh, they're all telling us what time it is. Philly, Dublin. How the hell are sweat? you saying that you're from all these places? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> got some nerdy ten. They're setting up five computers. Denver, everywhere. Denmark, Wisconsin, Sacktown, Switzerland. This is great. Nashville, what's up? I also got to give a shout out to. Uh, I've just completely blanked. Uh, Bermuda, scintillating. Number two podcast in Bermuda. (laughs) Number two investing podcast in Bermuda. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. (laughs) Three man division. Yeah, there's three podcasts. (laughs) Hey, uh, I I liked your podcast with Huber, man. That was good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Not John for a long time. It was good to chat to him. See what he's been doing. Nice guy. Yeah. Smart guy. Absolutely. Easy to root for. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, that was a fun podcast. I, I remember when he started uh, Base Hit Investing. It's yeah. crazy how long ago that is. It's 2012 or something. I subbed it for a bit. I learned a fair amount from John. Flowrider, Montreal, what's up? Delaware. Cool. Kamloops. All right. Welcome to Value After Hours. Whose intro is it? What are we doing? it's yours. You're doing it. Yeah. You've got all Unless that momentum. You just want to read out where everybody's yeah, from yeah. the rest of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most entertaining podcast we've ever done. 
Welcome to Value After Hours. I'm Tobias Carlyle. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster. Jake, what are you talking about today? I'm bringing uh, part two of On Being the Right Size. We, we had insects last week. Uh, we're doing eyeballs this week. Awesome. What's your topic, Bill? I don't know. I can't, <laughs> it's I'm thrown you. smiling, <laughs> thinking about being the right size. Uh <laughs> I, I'm probably going to talk about how price changes questions like the the price offered requires different questions to be answered than the, you know, higher price offered. I like it's that. Sneaky, sneaky good topic. It's a little bit reminiscent of the time that Brent B. Shaw went to uh, lunch or dinner with Buffett and Buffett had that kind of comment like price is the diligence. So the higher, the more you got to pay, the more diligence you got to do. Price is due diligence. Yeah. That's what that was smart. Uh, I'm just going to talk about we, we've been in this ripping market. Uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, Davy Day Trader, Robin Hood. Don't uh, come at Stool Presidente, man. Everybody's getting hilariously rich. Uh, it's almost as if we've completely forgotten. Like, was it just ten weeks ago? It was wasn't that long ago that we were uh, the other way? It looked like we were going to go through the uh, hard deck uh, at at speed. I think now we're going to be we're going to go into space at the same speed. I don't think that's going to happen either. But we'll talk about Lots it. Uh, stimmy. <laughs> yeah, right after this. Who wants to take it away? You want to go, Bill? I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah, that I can. Yeah, I can do it. So uh, the most, uh, I guess the the security that resides in my portfolio that is both the biggest and is most on my mind is uh, Transdime, and. When I bought it, I bought it the week of March 16th to March 20th. And it's a company that I had followed because I'd followed aerospace. I'd messed around in GE in the past. I messed around in the airlines in the past. So I had a view on travel and the airline sector and the aerospace supply chain. And I had a general sense of why I think the Transdime and Heikos of the world sort of rightfully have uh some compounder bro following um i was never really able to get there on the valuation i just sort of thought that at the prices that they were offered at you had to have a view on the business that i wasn't really comfortable with and that week of march 16th to march 20th uh, everyone in the world was panicked because of Transdime's leverage, which I understand. But when I was back at the bank, uh, when when uh, companies would go to work out, we wouldn't really talk about leverage all that much. It was all about liquidity. Um, and you got to have the liquidity to get through. Now, obviously, that presumes on the back end for someone like Transdime. Uh, I think they have a slug of debt that's maturing in 2025, I think it was. Uh like they've got to be able to refi it. So you need to have the trends of travel going in the right direction to get people comfortable rolling the debt and whatnot. But uh, their maturity profile was not one that I thought warranted, um, you know, real concerns over bankruptcy uh, that were imminent. And I have a couple people that I talk to a lot uh, that had called me to ask about their covenant issues. They have a springing covenant if their revolver is 35% drawn, and it was pretty clear that it wasn't going to happen. Um, so when you mix those questions in with the price action and the uncertainty, 
of what was going on in the market, it was pretty clear to me that it was panic selling and people that maybe were comfortable holding businesses while the outlook was rosy being uncomfortable with sort of a distressed time. And the questions that I had to ask myself to buy the security there are so much different than the questions that I have to know. Like, I, I don't even know what to tell people about it now, right? Uh, and well, How much has it moved uh, in that period? I mean, off some of those buys, 100%. Yeah, okay. I mean, today it's down 5%, so whatever, but... Uh, you know, it was 10% of my portfolio when I, I mean, I, I bought it hard when I, when I swung and you know, it, it's just been a face ripper. It's, it's even outperformed the rally. Uh, so I trimmed it on Friday. It got to 13% of my portfolio and the valuation just sort of like got a little stomach churning. Yeah. You, you, you don't want to take that kind of bet at 13% of the portfolio. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I like took, I took down 3% of the portfolio and, and brought it back down to 10, um, but it's hard to now have 10% of the portfolio in a company that I don't have as good, like I don't know how to an, out analyze people in this security. And I think at these prices, that's what you need to do. Uh, what I'm somewhat falling back on is, I believe I made a really good buy. I believe the cash flows will be there. They give special dividends and cold hard cash. I think I will get some in the future. But it's odd to be in a scenario where when I bought it, I, I asked myself, are you willing to live through a 50% drawdown? And I'm actually looking at the exact reverse. Uh, Can you hold through a 50% gain? Break, man. No, <laughs> but I don't, I don't even mean it like that. That's not what I'm trying to say because it's everywhere, right? But I've, I have been talking about just last week, I talked about you know Spirit X, Aerosystems and Hexel as two things that I thought were sort of interesting that, you know, I honestly, I was thinking of paring down Transdime. I own a little Heiko, not much, because that that one's like never really got all that cheap. Um, but like, I wanted to pare down those to go into the other, the more cyclical ones was sort of like where my head was at. And all of a sudden, those have ripped, right? The freaking United bonds that I said that I liked at eleven are down to seven. I, I, the speed at which stuff is moving, I don't even have the time to do any of the work that's necessary to have a view on the stuff like the second neither I does anyone cheap, else gone. <laughs> yeah so my default position has been to hold what i know i own because i do like the asset quality and you know if it costs me some performance at least i can go to bed at night knowing that like i'm not I, I, in order to play a different game i would need to be gambling and that's what i am trying to avoid but it has been tough to watch the stuff that i think I think is cheap, just like fly on me before I can even open up the 10K. It's crazy. So maybe, Probably, what, sorry, segue into your topic, Toby. <laughs> I think <laughs> what Bill's touching on though is an important idea in that at different price levels, there's different skill sets required. And probably at expensive prices, you have to be an above average analyst to expect to do well. But when the game shifts to low prices, and fear, then you have to have a, a psychological edge. And you don't have to be as good of an analyst probably when everyone's just trying to dump and get to cash as quick as they can. Just need some so, mangoes. Yeah, I, th I yeah. think that really is the right. issue. It's it, it, Because fundamentally what that bet came down to, and we'll see if I'm right over time, but is do you think that travel can will rebound? And the amount of research that I'd done in the past 
I was comfortable owning airlines and all that. I didn't have to answer that question. That question had already already been answered. So then the question to me was, do they have the liquidity and do I think they'll be able to roll the debt? Those to me were like the questions that mattered. Um, and even people that I really respect that have owned it for a long time that bailed on it, they were, you know, some of them were like, I just don't deal with distress. Uh, I don't really mind distress all that much if I understand what's going on. Well, well, here's my question. If everything's moving as quickly as this, are you rationally being Davy Day Trader? Like, are you behaving rationally trading this stuff faster? Because, you know, there's some stuff in my portfolio that's kind of, you know, I like it at one price. I'm not smart enough to analyze it where I hold it now. Like, do I, do I punt now? Does that make me a it's not day trading, but like you got to trade a lot more, which is, I almost wrote a piece saying this is one of those weird times where value guys, and I kind of meant it on the way down, where value guys got to do something they're not comfortable with, which is do a lot of trading. And I didn't really think about it on the other side, but now I'm looking at some of these positions, like there's still cheap stuff around that hasn't moved. And I've got this stuff in my portfolio that's like, now you got to have a view. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the tough thing. And I, I guess that, uh, you know, Taxes start to get involved. Uh, is, is somewhere in March, I was still chewing through short-term losses. So it was like, oh, well, I can trade this. I was incurring some short-term losses for that matter. Um, but I'm sort of like through that. So the questions get harder now. Now it's like, well, do I want to trade an asset that I think legitimately I bought at a good price that has a, a good like fundamental cash flow underneath it uh, for – you know, a puff that I might have to pay taxes on later. And my answer has been no. But if I look back and I underperform going forward, it's not going to shock me. I mean, you know, Trans Diamond Heiko are like, I mean, I said it like gut churning. Uh, I mean, they've come off a little bit from where they were. But on Friday, I was just looking at them like, how the hell are these businesses trading at this price right now? Um, I get it. I mean, I do get it on a spreadsheet, but I don't, I'm not sure I get it. If that makes sense, uh, for some of the it's stuff. The, sorry, to get the uh, the irony of that. Like, I don't know if you guys seen that meme where it said like, you know, sub a hundred IQ, it's going up. <laughs> buy it, bro. Right, and then one hundred to one thirty is, you know, things are messed up. How could you be buying? The Fed's intervening, and then one thirty IQ above says. It's going up. Just buy it, bro. Right? <laughs> it's so different than what you're talking about, Bill. Well, that's been true for that's been true for the last 12 years. Like any time you've done anything risk managed for the last 12 years, you've just been an idiot. Like even as recently as the the March drawdown, anything you were doing to kind of protect yourself there, it turns out that was dumb because we're back to all time highs. So from March 5, 2009 to today just a straight line up, you know, except for a few pullbacks, which were evidently they were all buying opportunities by the dips. Maybe the Robin Hood guys are right. Well, look, I, you know, the other part about the trans time thing is I, I say like, oh, the questions were easy. I, I bought a fair amount of the debt too. I mean, that was yielding 11 and it's coupon is seven and a half. I like that. Um, and I was like, all right, I guess if I'm wrong on this, at least maybe I can protect myself on the debt. Uh, and, you know, I feel like fucking Buffett after 09 when he was like, yeah, I should have just bought all the equity, you know, like what was I even thinking about <laughs> the debt for? That's stupid. Uh, I, I don't it, I think it was smart, you know, but in retrospect, it's just like, man, you were dumb to worry about risk at all. Because you only get Yellow. you only get one. You only live through one 
path of all of the possible paths. And that's, that's right. the thing that really good investors do is they consider all possible paths. And if there are paths where you donut, then you don't take that path because if you do it enough times, you're going to get the donut eventually. So yeah. you just keep on investing where you're, where you're, maybe you're taking away some of your upside to make sure that the donut isn't on the table. And then, uh, you, you get to be a you get to be an old man investing still in the game without having ever blown up. That's what I'm trying to do, but it feels real dumb right now. Yeah, short term I mean, pain. I mean that as a joke. I don't I don't actually mean that. But you know, when we talk about sort of what are the behavioral consequences of some of this, I do think like you know if somebody said oh, I'm just going to buy equity and then you know if. If I keep some cash around in the next, I'm I'm just gonna wait for the government and the Fed to announce their program, and then I'm just gonna buy like crazy and go on leverage. I'd say, you know, that's actually a fairly rational response to the last two crises. That's that that's that uh, that's like 4D chess, which is I can't play 4D chess. I can barely play 1D chess. I I mean I can't either. I you know I, I but it's just it's interesting to me. Like that would be if somebody said that's their strategy, I'd say yeah. That, I mean you might that might be an Icarus trade, but I don't necessarily disagree with it it seems like a dumber strategy is to try to be prudent and have cash around waiting for like a real drawdown because it, I, it seems like those i mean famous last words they're not taken off the table right i mean we might incinerate fiat currency trying to do this but it does seem like policy in general is going to be against you all the time well i think that there's some weakness in the u.s dollar over the last few weeks that seems to have been somewhat responsible for the run on the stock market i've seen a few charts to that end yeah i'd like to think about it sometimes like you know the stock market is a secondary market so i don't think a lot of people think about that so imagine if we had some kind of government program that tried to prop up all the prices on eBay for all the shit that's... And so you like go on eBay and you look and you're like, oh, my couch is like worth a lot more right now. <laughs> Great, right? Like, And you're all excited about that your couch is worth a lot because you went on eBay and looked and saw that it had been pushed up for some reason. That doesn't seem that logical to me. I get... I feel like that if you kind of back out a little bit or maybe like imagine yourself an alien coming down and looking at it, you would go... That doesn't make Fucking sense. Stupid. Yeah, that's Why a, would you yeah. want to do that? That's a great analogy. Well, if uh, if Stool Presidente is one of the ten, what I would, uh, you know, I know he was he was hammering himself for taking some profits. He said only losers take profits, and I respect that sentiment. That's <laughs> balls of steel on that man. But what I what I might suggest is. Uh, as someone that's followed the airlines for a while, there there may be a little more fundamental weakness than uh, current prices anticipate. So, uh, to like your point on secondary markets, down GDP, like that kind of weakness. Yeah, I just you know this this is the type of recipe that is toxic for them, right? Overcapacity, smaller airlines, more debt. Uh, just you know, read some history. Dude, and what's what's the worst thing that can happen? It'll go into bankruptcy, and then it's like a ten x from there. Ten x. This well, is an easy yeah, game. Then what you do is you have the cash on the sideline. You buy the day it files. You quadruple down. 10x. Buy next. all of it. Do you guys understand that one at all? Well, no, what's I don't this? understand half the shit that's going on right now. I think this is crazy. It's this. It's just the market is full of gamble at the moment. Like you think you're getting it. If I doubt that most people who are buying that even know that it's in bankruptcy. But if they do, like they, you, you look at 
you just look at something that's down gigantically and you think, well, if this thing goes back to where it was, that's like a 10x. So I'm going to make so much money here. It's worth having a punt on it. It's worth gambling on it. So they put a position on 10x it. Let's go find some other bankrupt stocks to buy. It's like, why wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. I think there's something like somebody was talking about how the NBA season is starting up soon. And if like you don't understand why that's bearish for this market, <laughs> I find that to be very compelling, actually. Like the whole gamble, like having another outlet for Meb? gambling. No, I forget who said I it. I saw Meb commenting but... on it, I think. Oh, is that right? I think there's some truth to that, maybe. Although, honestly, by DraftKings, right. as Jimmy Jill says, who cares if it's worth this valuation? Every game, people will buy the stock. Yeah, the uh, the Roundtill boys have got a betting ETF out, Bets B T Z. Uh, they're good fellas, so check it out. Yeah, there's no possible way that that's toppy. <laughs> also, if you're just tuning in, this is not investment advice at all. Do your own due diligence, please. Don't come here for that. I love. Uh, I've I've got just like a running list of all of the crazy stuff I've seen in this market. I, I haven't. I've just been writing it down since we've been since we've been talking here. So the Hertz bankruptcy is like that's bananas, right? But that's been we've seen that kind of behavior in Tilray. We saw it in Beyond Meat. We saw it in um, Tesla. Happens all the time in Tesla repeatedly. Uh, Davy Day Trader. What a phenomenon. He's a hilarious guy to watch. I've got no idea if he's making Fucking money awesome. or not, but but it's awesome. funny as hell. Tesla gets a competitor. They name it Nikola. I don't know if he's got a middle name, but if he does, then um, we got to go get that dot com and launch that piece Wait, of dog shit. Before we get into this, wasn't Ubin behind this? Ubin's what? no joke. Uh, I don't know. He's gone sideways a little bit recently. We'll see. Just saying. Is that how you say it? Ubin? Two Bs? I don't know. No, he's very I'm smart. Sure. He's very I'm smart. Not, I'm not sure. I, I don't have a strong view on that one. Uh, only because I don't know. But mate, he's not buying that retail. He's buying no, that in the. He's true. buying the spac. Like this is I endorse this kind of strategy. Go buy the spac. Wait for it to get taken over. Then wait for it to rip seventy percent or whatever. That bloke. It. The, it's it's like a nine billion dollar. Uh, yeah. That guy is worth nine billion dollars. The whole thing's like a thirty thirty billion dollar enterprise. Got no product. Just got a yeah, name. Exactly. Dude, I, I don't disagree with you. And that's a, when somebody asked me about Chemeth and his SPAC. I mean, read SPAC documents and see what the what the guys that put the SPAC together, their deal and your deal are completely fucking different. Ubbins a so, seller in that scenario. Know, He's not a buyer in that scenario. You're on the wrong side of the table. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he created the pixie dust. You're just buying it at a huge uh, premium to what he paid. It's actually a great value investment if you can pull it off. I, I, I've got some more stuff on my list. I got Druck, missed it again. Yeah, loser. If he if he goes but all in, know. well, he's, it sounded like he was he was getting ready to pull the trigger again. Yeah, is this him getting sucked into TMT in '99 all over again? Well, that's he... that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, you know the real harbinger last time was Tiger closing up shop March 2000 with Julian Robertson saying, "I don't understand this market anymore." Ring a bell, that's the top. So what's the equivalent now? Bow post? I don't know. Yeah, th let's see if we can... Yeah. I think we're live. Hold on, let's see. Gonna have to edit this one a little bit. Little, <laughs> just a little. 
Sorry, team. Uh, mouse fell out of the wheel. We back. I got him back Man, in his wheel. They say we're back. <laughs> people. Sorry. What's up, people? Yeah. So, Toby, who's your who's your internet through? You better not say Charter. That was Cox. <laughs> yeah, it was. Come to the good guy. <laughs> Mate, do I have any choice? Like, there's one dude. There's one. There's one choice, isn't there? Otherwise, it's like satellite, oh, which is like dial-up. Point of the industry structure that I like, but yes. You don't have <laughs> what a, you don't have much choice. What a disaster! Also, we still can't see your video. Oh, you can't. At least Jake on. can't. I don't know. All right. Well, I'm pretty sure it's going. Hey, team, can you guys who are out there, can you tell me if you can see my video? Is it coming through? Ooh, fire the tech team. The people are upset, sir. Not yeah, bad. I'm gonna take the take the tech team and <laughs> kick the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> You right. have to turn off these comments. I can see them. They are so right. tough. They can see us. Awesome. Can we talk about European stocks. I can, but it wouldn't do any good. I don't know anything. Anyway, where were we? Where were we? we I don't know. JT we're we're lamenting. I get something about Baupost, and uh, and then the powers that be at Google shut us down. Yeah, yeah, we got shut down. Makes sense. Too political. Too much That's truth. Right. Yeah, you start talking That's what happens. or COVID-19 and you're not making Too any money. Too much truth. All right. Well, we're going to have to get this uh, this uh, going again. Well, there's, there's, so. two, there's, two, uh, there's two, um, two other things I wanted to mention, and then we'll, go, we'll move on to Jake's. One of them is that the... Uh, RSI is at the highest level ever. So that's, I think that's relative strength index. That's how hard everybody is bidding the stocks. That's just because you're coming from so low. Keep going up. Duh. Next. I don't think that's how it works, Matt. I think it's like... It's <laughs> it's science. That's how it works, for sure. And it was... I think I think I said Druck, right? Druck, Druck pulled a lever somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think that... I think that well, you and I have got the same topic. Basically, there's a lot of gamble in this market. The thing about Druck is you just can't – I mean, he, he changes so quickly it's and the nimble. way – Yeah, and the way that he talks about stuff, like it's um, – it, it's, uh, I think Vitaly said this to me, uh, I, that you know, it, can, it can both be true that the market can have risk-reward problems, but you can still find good risk-reward within the market, right? And like – what, you don't know what Druck's looking at when he's talking about it and stuff like that. So when he, he was talking, I, I think, I think his saying. words are a lagging indicator as to what his portfolio looks like more yeah. than most. Well, he ripped up, like he did rip up six or seven billion dollars in 2000, which is, you know, that's real money. Back then, that was real money. <laughs> now, now, you, now that, that's what you pay to get your car washed, but that was a lot of money back then. <laughs> that, I mean. Ugh. Let's, that, that is crazy that he did that, but it, the crazier thing is that he could do that, and his record is still pretty good. Yeah, just a lot of volatility in it. Like that's, you know, Tepper has a volatile, has a volatile track record. Still very good, and I think Buffett and Munger would probably have a much more volatile track record if they didn't have all of the ballast from the float and from a few other things in there. The Phantom on Twitter was talking about yesterday. He was talking about has there been any concentrated investor other than Buffett and Acri that hasn't blown up? And I think that that's a pretty good question to ask, uh, especially for some of us that want to uh, look up to those guys. Given, I mean, Acri, I think, is somewhat different, but I might be wrong. You know, the market that Buffett and Munger were playing in. 
the bets were much easier to make, I think. And maybe that's uh, maybe that's not true, but it certainly feels like it's true that I don't know. I see. I think this is. I I, I hate to keep on harping on this because I know it's my bias talking, but I do think that value is unusually undervalued at the moment. I can find a lot of stuff around. Uh, last I looked, anyway, which is probably a week now, but I can I can find a lot of stuff that I want to buy. It's getting a little bit frothier though. Value is starting to run a little bit. Get off the train tracks. Here comes value. Yeah. The other thing though, just so I I mean just so that we're clear, because uh, I think it's important for for people to understand what you're talking about. I mean, I was looking at your portfolio the other day. I don't perceive that to be the deepest value, right? Like I look at those names What's and I'm like, a that's bit? a bunch of stuff I could own for a long time. Yeah. No, I know, but I'm saying you got quality in there too. Like you're picking good businesses at good prices. It's that's what not, I'm trying to do. Yeah. Well, it's just not throwing like that's dark right. shit and hoping to hit. I'm, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just not trying to buy growthy stuff. That's the, that's the the difference. I'm trying to buy strong balance sheets and cash flows and buybacks that buyback stocks. So they tend to be just. Sl- like- the bottom line grows pretty quick, but the top line is a little bit slower. It's still better than inflation. Yeah. Yeah, my point is just I, I don't wanna I don't want people thinking that you're out there like buying miners at a deep discount to a book when they have unproven reserves. <laughs> I might. <laughs> nah, right, probably not. You're not saying probably you won't. Not. I'm just saying you're not. There's just they they, they wouldn't get three because there's just not probably not not enough cash flow for the most part. Yeah, that makes. And sense. by the time they're cash flowing, I'm probably not. They're probably not where I want to buy them. But I appreciate that. Thanks, mate. Is you you have a you use enterprise value, which will it already creates sort of risk mitigation in a way. So yeah, it favors cash on the balance sheet. Favors it doesn't always. Well, I'll buy something with debt, but it tends to have a lot of uh, a lot of operating income in that in that scenario. Yeah, it has to. We gotta do we gotta do JT's topic. All right. Are we ready for some veggies? Part uh, two. <clears throat> part two of on being the right size, Bill. Uh so last week we talked about inches. <laughs> we talked about how insects can only get to be a certain size based on limitations of their of oxygen diffusion in their bodies. Well this week we're gonna continue with that same paper that JBS Haldane wrote in 1926. And in this, now we're talking about some of the advantages of size. So one of the, uh, so all warm-blooded animals lose heat through their skin at the same rate of the, the unit of area that's exposed. And so what's interesting is if you took 5,000 mice, they would be the same weight as a man but because they have so much more surface area, they actually require 17 times as much food and oxygen as a, as a man would. So they, and most of that, uh, so a mouse will eat about a quarter of its body weight every day. And a lot of that is just to stay warm. So what ends up happening then is that you don't see a lot of small animals in really cold countries. So like Spitsbergen, which is like this island that's in, uh, it's in Northern Norway very cold, obviously, close to the Arctic Circle. The smallest mammal there is a fox. So you don't have mice. You don't have anything smaller. So, What's uh, the biggest? Do we know what the biggest is? A whale. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, if you just think about, like, in the Arctic, 
Like, what animals do you imagine in the Arctic? But you got orcas, you got polar seals, bears, yeah, polar po- bears. Like, these are all not really for long. <laughs> yeah, I think they're coming long. back. I think they're okay. I hope. I like the I polar think... bear. Kind yeah, of, polar kind of a cool. dick species, but I like them. <laughs> you would. All right, That's so right. they're like the trans dime of species. They'll tear you up. <laughs> so let's talk about the human eye. And, you know, inside in your retina, you have about 120 million rods and about 6 million cones. And the diameter of each of the rods and cones happens to be the exact average uh, length of a wavelength of light. So each one is basically capturing a wavelength. And so for two objects to be distinguishable for you, you have to have sensory input enough to capture both both inputs and create the electrical signal for your brain to see. So if we had fewer rods and cones and they were bigger, we wouldn't actually be able to see as well. But they're not smaller than a wavelength of light because that doesn't even really make a whole lot of sense, right? Because it wouldn't that same amount of of light would then fall across two rods and cones and wouldn't be able to produce a different differentiated signal for you to read. So what that ends up happen what that does is, is that small animals have unusually large eyes relative to their body mass and big animals have unusually small eyes. So, you know, you think about a whale or an elephant, like their eyes are not much bigger than a human eye. And, you know, you think about like mouse and all these other smaller animals, like their eyes are unusually large. And a a lot of that has to do with being able to create enough rods and cones to be able to see. Um, So what we're really talking about is Mother Nature backing into through physics and math economies of scale. Like it takes a certain amount to be able to see, but it's not going to waste resources by like with a whale having a giant eye. It doesn't need it. Right. So. All right, so what's the punchline of this for, for in a business context? I think, so in a business now, and a lot of this is kind of inspired actually by Andrew Wilkinson talking about these like smaller internet businesses that can you know produce a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars maybe of of cash flow, but not more than that really because it's just too niche. Well, I personally think that our way out of the economic malaise that. I think is coming towards us. Maybe not. I don't know. But I think our way out is not printing money and it's not trying to prop up eBay prices of businesses, uh, which I'm going to start calling the stock market now. Um, It it is going. (laughs) I'm hating. It's going to be through people discovering that starting these little businesses and serving some little niche that they're uniquely capable of serving will be able to create much more economic opportunity. Now, how this relates to the eyeball thing is, if you think about like, you know, you need a CRM maybe, you need an accounting system, you need uh, some way to interact with customers, like an emailing program, like MailChimp or whatever. Sounds like you need Microsoft. You need Microsoft. All of these things They got your cloud. Yeah, but that's the amazing thing. Like all of these things now are available in a stack for probably under a hundred bucks a month, you could create a pretty reasonable business. Whereas if you had to have farmed that out, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the size of the business that you would need would be much bigger, right? So now to have an eyeball, which I'm, you know, I'm trying to draw the correlation here, like in an economy of scale, 
to have an eyeball in a business, it requires much less resources. So the size of the businesses that are sustainable could actually be much smaller than they were 20 or 30 years ago. And I think that's our ticket out of economic problems. And it's not printing money and it's not throwing money at the big businesses and then trying to get them to promise not to lay anyone off. I have bad news for you. They're going to lay people off as soon as it's politically expedient if we actually end up with you know 50% down in GDP. Like These are rational actors. They're not going to just sit there and subsidize employees. So that's, that's bad news. Yeah, I, lo- I, I, you know, I love that. Sorry, go ahead, Toby. I was just going to say I love that analysis. I, I would just wonder what the second order of that is. If everybody can make money from home day trading or running their Shopify business, does that mean that things that require, like if you have to cut somebody's hair or you have to get your hair cut, does that mean that those services become slightly more valuable because those people can't get any operating leverage? They're just going to be a one-to-one, need a physical store. I wonder if they get a premium. They probably deserve one. I don't know, but I'll tell you what I I have said for a long time to my wife, and she doesn't. She thinks I'm joking. If my kids don't like school, I am going to send them to be plumbers, because like I think being a plumber is an incredible profession if you look at it the right way, and it's something that can't be displaced. And to your point, like uh, you know, it's uh, you can't it'll. If you think about it like a business, you can grow it to scale. It's got local economy benefits. You've got uh, service-based revenues. Uh, it's it's a good business. I don't know. I don't know uh, why your thought triggered that. Maybe I'm just trying to fit a thought a, into that conversation. We need a plumber roll-up strategy. That's what I'm hearing. Well, it's sort of like what Bishore is trying to do in different right. ways, I think. Uh, I, the, the two thoughts that I had about the, the right size – um, and I know I've talked about it a lot, but now that I'm talking about it, I might as well be public about it. The, the thing that I think that I have started to understand about how aerospace works is like Boeing is so big and the R&D cycles are so long and GE is so big and the, the R&D cycles are so long and, and you get stuck in like these perpetual r&d cycles so it's like okay this plane is coming off the the bat or you know off the line now we got to invest in the next one and all our suppliers need to do it you know and there there are little pockets of a value chain like that where you can be the right size to actually generate the profit and the mammoth in the whole ecosystem is too big to focus on that that profit center but that mammoth also requires uh, you to deliver parts quickly. And there are things that scale enables that like the mom and pop just can't do. Um, and I think that's the, when, when people talk about like going through a supply chain and finding the kink where the economic benefits sort of like accrue, I think that's a good way to think about it is like, where is the right size to be in this and what are the recurring cash needs and, who maybe doesn't quite have that but can benefit from some of it i don't you know i don't know it's just uh it's an interesting thought to keep in mind there's some great commentary in the in when you guys go back and watch this show you have to see the commentary because we've got some smart listeners uh, i've been really enjoying it um so i have i have keep one going more, jt yeah probably light me up saying that no, no, no. it's all good it's all good lose everything <laughs> bring it bitches so uh, the last where Haldane closes this essay is that 
just as there's a right size for every animal based on physics and math, there's a right size for every human institution. And so he's talking about like Greek city states and how they had direct democracy. And it was a, you know, that you could sit there and have an orator talk about what legislature and they could vote on it directly. Right. And but you could only get to be a certain size to have because of the technology available at that time. Like you can only yell so loud for the crowd to hear you. Right. Well, we we found a way around that through representative uh, democracy, republics, uh, you know, Rome and then even the UK and then the US. And so we've had an ability to have a bigger organism based on using representative. But I can't help but wonder myself, uh, and this is what's really interesting, is that, that Haldane was actually like a really devoted communist in his youth. And after studying all this stuff, he recognized that communism probably couldn't solve all the problems because it was too big, like too many uh, factors involved, too many people, too many opinions. And so he, he actually made like, I don't know if it's kind of a joke, but that that he, he thought Henry Ford could run Luxembourg because Ford as an entity already had more employees than there were citizens, but he didn't think that it could be able to run the U.S. Well, this has me thinking a little bit more about... Uh, you know, we have some tools nowadays that are absolutely amazing as far as communication goes. And I can't help but wonder if, I mean, let me ask you guys, do you guys feel represented by your representatives in government today? Negative. I don't know. This is sort of a hard question. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the real answer is... I think that people go and try to do the right thing, and then the size of the federal government requires uh, fundraising all the time, and incentives get screwed up. Uh, and then within the communication tools that we have, the loudest voices are the ones that tend to win, so the, the conversation gets skewed to the polls. But when I usually start talking to people or listening to representatives talk about non-hot-button issues, I am more often than not pleasantly surprised and there's more common ground than is perceived. That's the real answer. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think it would be possible to now with these tools have a more direct democracy again and where we can all vote on things that we care about and Do, they can ask us instead does of Does that create to, a huge burden though for like if you had to make all of these like what are the what's the what's the next implication of that? Like so now you've got a You've got a lot of things you've got to follow. I mean, I'm flat out keeping track of everything in my business and my family. Like, I've got to, now I've got to run the government as well. I mean, I don't think I could do a worse job. I mean, I, I think you're seeing... So, I, Ben Thompson wrote what I think is a, a really good article. Uh, my man, Science of Hitting Investing, is the one that put me on it. The uh, Something about dust or whatever. I think it was, he wrote it like Tuesday, but... Or maybe it was Monday. I'm not giving anyone anything that they need here. But uh, it, a lot of it was about how the Internet enables uh, all speech. And while there are bad parts of that, there's also really good parts. And, you know, I think, like, you look at what what uh, Twitter has enabled people to show on, uh, you know, on some of these marches. It's also why I think Scott Galloway is pretty wrong when he wants to turn Twitter into a subscription service. Uh, I think you lose a lot of what makes it actually really, really great um, 
because I do think that it somewhat democratized the conversation and obscured it at the same time. So it's uh, it's odd. I think maybe part of the trade off is that so you, you know, Toby, don't want to keep track of all these issues. I get it. But you also, in exchange for that uh, ignorance, are how much leakage is there now between your representative and, you know, pork barreling of different things like imagine fixing like we could all vote like that we want to fix the pothole on the street and then it you know directly debited out of your 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 account that you put that you had to put money in to yeah. keep track of yeah like we could all decide like yeah that's what we want to do as opposed to now where it's like oh they had a committee and then there were how many administrative people involved to, well, that makes more to sense. decide to fix that pothole? There's like a buy I now. Think. You got to hit the button. You got to buy now, and then that money comes out of your account. You, you want to fix that pothole for twenty-seven cents? Yeah, let's do that. You want to bomb right. that third world country for five dollars? No, thank you. I think you're making right? a very like compelling, compelling case for the uh, capital C conservative vision of the world right now. Is that direct democracy? <laughs> Uh, I think I think pushing things down to a local level gets you a lot closer to that. I think as, as you centralize decision making, whether it's business or government or anything, you get a lot further away from the things that you are advocating for. What happens to Heiko and trans? What happens to all of our aerospace? Uh, I don't think I don't think they're going to be quite as profitable. Uh, yeah, well, you can't do it there. I mean, good luck having local local businesses vote on or local people vote on like whether or not Boeing should develop a F-35. You know, I mean, you got to there's there's certain things should be done at the local level and the federal. I don't know. Well, let's bring it back to well, let's bring it back to like a very hot button issue right now, which is like police and their budgets. And like with this problem, you're going to get us fucking defunded. I need this dollar twenty five, man. I got three kids. I know, but think about you it. You just though. put you... extra cheese on the Kraft mac and cheese. Well, that was your first problem. So imagine where, like, with this, all the problems with the police that we're seeing now that are rearing into, like, huge, huge issues, would this, some of the friction in the system have been sort of ironed out if we had been able to vote all along, like, to lower some of their budget along the way because we were mad about how they were treating people. Like, right? Does it have to get all the way to full-scale violence? If we can vote every day with our dollar as opposed to waiting for big referendums to vote for things. I, I think your theory is nice. I don't think it's uh, practical, practically applicable. But maybe technology will uh, enable some of it. I like the theory. I like where you're going yeah. with it. I do too. I think it's. I just uh, don't know if it actually works. I just yeah. I don't know. I, I my not exercise them. My cynical view is that when people go into politics, they go into politics because they have the libido dominandi, you know, the desire to rule, the desire to tell other people what to do, and they also want to be the person who gets to do it. They want their face out there, running running things, and anybody who's got kind of good intentions just can't make it. You have to be a political animal to kind of get all the way through to keep those fires burning and fight those fights and push it through the subcommittees and like do all those sort of things. And I still think that even with, even with direct democracy, they just find a way to get in there and be between you and the event. And so you'd be voting on, you'd be like, how are we voting on this thing again? Like, how does this come up? And it'd be, now it's got a different name and it's got some politically palatable name on it. 
and it's described to you in a particular way, but you've got to read right into the fine print to find the fish hook. I like the idea. I, I, anything I that the, fixes the, where we are would be better. But I One just, of the basic questions, I guess, in that whole thing is, do you think that people are trustworthy enough to be in charge of themselves or not? Yeah, I do. I believe in people as individuals, but not groups. Groups are really, really dumb. Individuals in general are not. Quoting Tommy Lee Jones from Men in Black. Am I? There you go. Paraphrasing. Good for him. All right, people so are you smart. Talk about the group is gambling on the stock market right now. Well, they've been right so far. Good point. Yeah, I think people should be able to govern themselves one hundred percent. I was trying to make a transition to to your topic, but I fell flat. Let's do some I'm questions. Not good at the transaction. Yeah, let's hit us with the Q questions. I like that topic, Jake. That was well thought out, well described. You're playing four D chess. Well, trying to bring it back to checkers. Checkers as checkers uh, as um, I'm gonna forget. King me. King me. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a great book which I have back in my. Uh, the Education of a Speculator. Um, help me out with the name. I'm blanking a little bit. Anybody in the in the comments too has a great uh, discussion in there about checkers, saying that checkers is a much tougher game than people realize if you play against a world-class checkers player. And they will say to you, you can win or you can lose in order to win this game. If you draw, I win. And they're just so good they can play you to a draw every single time. Tic-tac-toe. Tic-tac-toe, too. Uh, Victor Niederhofer. Oh, yeah. Niederhofer. <laughs> not going not to make that joke. <laughs> not allowed to make the check anymore. That's <laughs> uh, done. Done, done, done. All right, Toby, hit us with some Q&A, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... There have been many, but they've dri- drift, drifted past. Hit us up, guys, if you if you got a question. Uh, if oh, here's one. All right, let's do it. If you're pro self-government, why the angst with blockchain and crypto? I got no angst with blockchain or crypto. Crypto is a currency. I don't trade currencies. Uh, I don't want to be sitting down at the table and be the the last smart, smartest bloke at the table. I got a tiny little edge in equities. I think. I don't think I got an edge in currencies. I don't think anybody's got an edge in currencies. Own them if you want to, but you're kidding yourself if you think you're going to have another 2,000% run in that. It's not doing its job if it does that. I have nothing to add. I don't either. It's a good answer. If you in, the- I mean, I see this one, Toby. Uh, why do you think the pendulum has swung so far against concentration? It used to be the thing to do. Now everyone is saying that concentration sucks. Uh, I mean, I don't think concentration sucks. I just took a 10% position in something. I've got 50% of my portfolio in six securities. It's pretty fucking concentrated. But, uh, you know, the other side of it is I got kids and a family. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, you know, there's... I I respect that the market knows a lot, and I'm not here to stroke my own ego. And I'm I, I mean that that is what it would be for me. I'm not saying for other people. I am running my own money. I have my own family to feed. Well, I don't need to, to do some hero trade, being fifty percent in something. It's just not what I need. Let's let's define but our I terms a little it. bit here, because I I always say you know 
people say concentration, diversification. Like I've talked to guys who are private equity guys and you say they think that more than 10 positions is an index. And then, you know, you talk to other guys and they got 40 positions on and they'll tell you that that's conviction. So we need to define terms a little bit here. I would say that Kelly betting concentration is the outer limit of how concentrated you want to be. And then diversification is like the S&P 500. So concentration is closer to the Kelly betting end of that. Don't have to go all the way there, but probably 10 positions is you can consider yourself concentrated. 20 positions, you're probably not concentrated. Is that fair? Didn't you write a book on concentrated investing? Yeah, I had this argument in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it's one of those things. Like I, I, have the, I have the conversation all the time. I'll have somebody telling me how concentra- like how much they believe in concentration. I go and have a look at the portfolio. I'm like, this is not concentrated by my definition. Yeah. Is I that think, fair? Uh, actually, my topic next week is going to give you a physics-based reason of why concentration might be more dangerous than you think. I yeah. mean- there's survivorship bias and everyone in all the heroes that are concentrated there's 10,000 that thought that they were super smart and you never hear about because they're the people that got concentrated on the wrong bet so you know if you want to make that bet go make it let's see there's like Buffett Buffett said he'd be 50% in his top position I think Buffett is at least five times smarter than me so 10% my top position is is enough for me. That was literally That's the point that I was going to make. Not 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 to that same not to that same extent. But the guys who are talking concentration is Warren Buffett. Now just yeah. just run your own ex- investing expertise on that scale, and that tells you how concentrated you want to get. Do you think yeah. there's anything about the opportunity set though that should dictate your concentration? I mean, there yes. are certain times where. All right, like to bring it back to like a biology example where. Let's say uh, there's a whale, and you you want to kill the, you want to get that whale to eat because you're going to eat on it a long time. And then there's other times where you need to bring a net and catch like a million minnows, and you can eat those for a long time, right? Well, so what are the what are the know, times? What are those oh, two times? I, let's say like 2009, and there's tons of net nets out there, and you just come out with a basket of, and you buy all of them, and you don't need to concentrate, you don't need to be a hero. Uh, and you kill, collect all those little minnows and you know that you're going to eat pretty well for a while. And then there are other times where maybe maybe in more expensive markets, actually, where you're like, OK, I can't really shoot with a shotgun here because there's not that much. It's not that target rich of an environment. I better get the rifle out. That's shot selection rather than how much of it you hold, though, right? Would you necessarily become more concentrated because there are fewer positions around? I I. That was my experience over the last few years was I felt like I kind of backed into being more concentrated because I didn't have more ideas to to round out and diversify more. So I don't know. I just wonder whether that means that you just are you, should you hold more cash in that scenario or yeah. own more? Cause depends, I, how good the, depends how good the, the uh, idea is, right? But that's 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 not a, so much a time of the market question. It's not so much of a this is a time for a fishing net or this is a time for a whale harpoon. This is a this is a you're looking at the animal and you're saying I need a harpoon for this one or I should just get out the fishing net. Yeah. Uh, is know. Dave Port- Portnoy the new Buffett? No, he's Obviously. the new he's the new Jimmy Chill. 
Nah, he's the new Jesse Livermore. Portnoy's the man. I, Jimmy Chill? I think he's a. I think he's like a Jimmy. He's like Jimmy Chill, except he doesn't know anything. <laughs> I do. Jimmy Chill does know a lot of stuff. It's pretty impressive what he pulls up out of his brain. I said Portnoy doesn't know anything. I said, no, I know, I know, yeah. I know, I know. I, I, but I'm calling Portnoy Jesse Livermore though. That that trading, he, it's clearly never going away. Dude is a beast. <laughs> you know the you know the comment my favorite comment that he uh, made is he goes people have been betting against me for 20 years and no one's cashed that check that's good a great him i don't care i love the entertainment i just wouldn't take advice from him Dude, that's that's true of all of the, the dip buyers for the last 12 years too yeah no Nobody's one's cashed, cashed that, that check, check yet no one's no one's had their had their cards yanked for uh for buying dips so far new all-time highs buy the dip that is investment advice. Yeah. I'd short the fee up. You can't cash that chick either. Oh, boy. It is, a, you know, it's a real problem for... Uh, I, I don't know what behavior it's going to create down the road. We'll see. And I, I remain steadfast in my belief that, like, like we could easily double from here. I don't think we're that crazy yet, and I think we're pretty nuts. I think people could get like really, really carried away with this stuff. But well, you know, if we go down fifty percent or thirty percent, I'm not going to be shocked. Uh, but I, I think higher is where we're going. It's it just feels like that. It's nuts. I'm very uncomfortable bias. right now. Recency bias alert. Yeah, I got uh, no idea. It's not that, man. It's it's <laughs> the size of what the Fed is doing and the amount of the government stimulus and the idea that, like, I, I, there's still skeptics out there and there's still people that are arguing that things are cheap relative to rates. So, I mean, like, when, when uh, Munger was talking about the Nifty 50 and he said, like, we're not even close to that, I mean, he means we're not close to that. So why couldn't we get close to that? We're not there now. We're going to answer the question in the next little while whether the Fed can print us over a gigantic crevice. Like, are we going to get get air over this whole thing and just land safely on the other side? Or does the underlying matter? If the underlying matters, and as a value guy, fundamental guy, I tend to think that it does. If it doesn't, we need a new job, man. It's going to be devastating. Well, if it doesn't, it's got to change the way you invest, right? You become a flow, momentum go 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 yeah you just yeah you trade momentum all the time and the cfa is like Gone. society needs to shut down security analysis bennett yeah you just become a uh, chartered market technicians so this is a this is a question that follows on from the same thing why is warren buffett doing so poorly uh, i think he's doing okay but too old the game passed him by yeah there's a new sheriff in town davy day mean, trader it's a size problem it's when you're at that size and you do a billion dollar acquisition, it doesn't move the needle. And but what about you, when you sell yeah. airlines? What about when you sell Bank of New York? I mean, I think it's a little too early to determine whether or not he was wrong on those. But in the short term, it sucks. He's not losing any sleep over in this. So I wouldn't don't feel too bad. Yeah, I think he's doing okay. I'm, I'm not he too worried give for him. Two shits about what what Davy Day Trader says about him. 
I think he'd see if we, I think he'd enjoy it, wouldn't he? It's funny as hell. I think he would like it. I, would I mean, laugh. I don't see how you can watch it and not like it. I, I like when I also like when Portnoy was like, uh, he's you know he's a Hall of Famer. He's he's great, but like the old man lost it. Now I'm taking you know I'm like the captain I'm now. Crown, yeah. Look at me, it's I'm awesome. the captain yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. It's just my. Dude, he's, if, if I'm Buffett's age and somebody's saying that Brewster lost it, that means I'm good enough to be known. So yeah. bring it. Yeah. I hope I have haters. If I'm if I have haters, I'm doing something right. I do uh I was telling Bill like while Toby was on a vacation there, um <laughs> that that on the one hand, like part of me is very sad for a lot of the people who are going to get, I think, in going to get shellacked by this type of behavior on the other hand i can't help but wonder if this isn't like 2004 world series of poker uh chris moneymaker winning and just sucking in all of the dumb money and the, the minnows and the sharks are all rubbing their hands together uh and these same people who are putting that amount of thought into buying will put the same amount of thought into selling at some point and will We'll have our opportunities, I well, think. Well, I saw but. I saw a great tweet today that was something like all of the uh, the bigger guys uh, have to chase now because it, everything's run and everybody's been too too risk off, and so they're going to have to buy into the market and they're going to be buying from all of the Robin Hooders. So the Robin Hooders have made their money. They're going to offload to the pros. Wait for round two. Yeah, that's that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> in fact i was thinking about it i've been actually my kids have been wanting to to learn how to play poker and so we've been playing as a family and i, I played a fair amount what are you of playing hold'em college. or uh PLA. yeah yeah texas hold'em more action in uh, PLA. yeah but we uh you know it's this is just like they're I, we used to call them baby rattlesnakes right because they don't know their own power and they're, they're like overly aggressive and you just have to hang back. You wait a little bit until you have, you know, a nut lock hand, and then you take all of their money. Right. Yeah. Like that's, and I think that same analogy kind of applies here. You need to be patient. You need to wait till you kind of have a lock hand. Uh, don't be trying to out aggressive them at this point. I don't know. I've been patient for like 11 years and uh, push my chips in on uh, two tw- uh, on 320, and here we are. Nothing's changed. Yeah, it is. Uh, usually, there's more time in between the. I mean, here's the here's the other <laughs> between bottom and blowout top, right? Here's the here's the next part of that scenario that we're talking about poker. Like, you could be the seventy year old dude who's been playing his entire life, and you come across all of these kids who are, um, you know, they've just they've just learnt a new game, and you don't know how to play that game. They've learnt the hyper aggressive loose style, and it looks well, like. That- Looks crazy, looks chaotic to you, but there's method to it. Yeah, but I don't I think that's happening. I'm those just kids playing like ten thousand hands a day, and like, but that's not what's happened here, right? Like, if you're buying stuff out of bankruptcy or in actively in bankruptcy, that's not like I've seen this ten thousand times, and I know that this. You works. don't think they cracked the security analysis? Went to that section on distressed investing and calculated the net net value like figured out the 4d chess of the uh, bankruptcy process and worked out they were going to make some money there if they have then kudos to them and i don't I'm, think so either gavin just playing baker. devil's advocate all right guys ba- wait 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 gavin baker had said this on twitter and i think he's right uh 
he said, has any uh, stock that had a liquidity crisis not doubled? Right. And like the two out of everything that I saw, the two that sort of eat at me are letting go of restoration hardware and letting go and not not buying. I mean, I held it for like literally overnight and I just couldn't sleep. Uh, El Dorado Resorts. And those are two businesses that I've watched for a long time and I really wanted to own. And like El Dorado on a risk adjusted basis, I probably I did. I messed up by not holding that like I I but they were legitimately on the verge of bankruptcy <laughs> or at least my perception of it. Right. You, and, you missed out on a great opportunity. Then, right? Yeah. Well, dude, it, you know, from from eight to forty six. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, like, like the equity was truly priced as an option. And I guess I was not creative enough to allow myself to see the ways out. And I really didn't buy the theory behind, you know, the government might be able to save a lot of these companies. And, uh, I, I think that that's the right way to think. I think the reasons that I wasn't able to hold them are the correct reasons, but the result sucks to watch. And I hope that when this happens again, which it inevitably will, it seems like it's going to happen once a decade. Uh, I, uh, I just hope that I don't get stupid with the assumption of what I'm learning today. Right. I mean, that's uh, the argument of moral hazard or like whatever. I just hope that I stick to security analysis because that's that's the true north, right? And like the well, price action doesn't really matter. Um, and there's no guarantee that it'll work every time, but it does suck to watch. I've been playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Runner, runner, J-Pow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've been playing devil's advocate a little bit here just so everybody's clear. I don't believe any of the shit that I've just been saying. I think that uh, <laughs> if you look at the history of these things, 18 bottomed in 21, 29 bottomed in 32. This is, uh, we're in the middle of the, like there's lots and lots of time left in this little epoch that we're going through. There's, this is a wild time. Um, Did you it's not see, over. Uh, there was something that Momo Bro tweeted out, uh, who actually, I've got to com commend him. He's got some like value stuff now. Uh, but he tweeted out like, the how long it has been between the bottom in the stock market and the end of a recession. And like, I think the longest was 11 months and the shortest was, was three months. And I was thinking to myself, like, I guess if you define a recession as when we get back to growth, this recession, like, in theory could end. But if you think about it from, like, where we were to where we're going, we are not. There's no freaking way that this pain. 2030, according to the CBOE. 11, in 11 months. Like, no way. Yeah, 2030. <laughs> they, and they pushed that back from 2027, which was their first estimate. Is that what they said? Mm -hmm. 2030? And that's to get back to 2019 to get levels, back to basically? Where we were, yeah. Good luck with that. On that note, Be ready for a slog. That's why I'm glad I picked stocks, not the index. Yeah. Thanks, folks. That was Ooh. really fun. Sorry nice. for the uh, technical difficulties. I'll have the uh, have the tech team shot. See you next week. Yeah, quickly. <laughs>
Podcast.